0: about heaven over the years and um, there's a lot of great writers that have written about heaven but I'm convinced they're just scratching the surface of what it's actually going to be like heaven's going to be so much more than we could ever anticipate or ever dream or ever think but it sure is fun to try to describe it especially using the word of God what a great song thank you Judges chapter 7 is where we'll be tonight Judges chapter 7 Do you believe in miracles? Not like the, I believe in miracles, not that one. (laughs) Not the hot chocolate one from the 70s. I had to to look it up to make sure I had the right band. Not that one, that is a good one, but I can't sing the rest of that song from, maybe when I get down on the floor I can sing the rest of the song, but it's a little more sacred up here. do you believe in miracles? That was the phrase that Al Michaels screamed in 1980. He was a famous broadcaster. And that's what the United States men's Olympic hockey team needed in order to win a gold medal that year. Um, they, if you've ever watched, ever seen, everybody seen that Disney movie, Miracle on Ice? Miracle on Ice. It's got Kurt Russell in it. He, I mean, that man has perfected the Minnesota accent. He kept saying, hey, Dare, don't you know, all that stuff, and he sounded really, really good, just like the old coach, Herb Brooks is his name. But if you don't know the story, the U.S. hockey team that year was made up of only college athletes and amateur players, and this is at the end of the Cold War era, and they end up getting matched up against the Soviet team, full of talent, full of players, full of professionals, full of probably some criminals, um, <clears throat> but... They get matched up against the Soviets, and they end up pulling in this this crazy upset. They get this, like, big uh, intermission talk, and they go up uh, 4-3 and win and earn themselves a place in history. That game inspired what is now one of the most recognizable broadcast voices when Al Michaels screams, Do you believe in miracles? Team USA was in need of something special because this team, for all intents and purposes, was underqualified and definitely an underdog in the fight. How many loves a good underdog story? Those are the make make for real good movies, real good entertainment, Uh, but everybody loves a good underdog story. But what about you? Have you ever felt that way? Maybe you don't feel up to the task ahead of you. Maybe you don't feel like you can take another step. Maybe you just feel like giving up where you're at tonight. Maybe you feel unqualified for what God is calling you to step into. You're not alone. That's the great thing about Scripture. Scripture is a a common theme that God used people who thought themselves to be the most unqualified. Let me give you a couple examples before we read. Look at Moses. Moses leads the people out of Egypt. He has multiple movies made about him. I mean, you can't really argue with Charlton Heston. Uh, But if you look at his life as a whole, his claim for most of his life was, God, you've got the wrong guy. I'm a murderer. I'm weak. I can't speak in public because I have this speech issue. Man, what you could accomplish if you had someone that was qualified. And God said, I have chosen you to do this. Look at David probably the greatest king of Israel, he was pretty much overlooked by his father while his brothers are lining up to be, uh, who might, see who might be chosen for the king in Israel. David, for lack of a better way to describe it, David has been sent on a Chick-fil-A run for his brothers while all of his brothers are getting lined up in front of Samuel. Yet David is the one that God chooses to work through. A long-standing principle that we're going to look at tonight and throughout Scripture is that this is this: in God's economy, you can be too big for God to use, but it is impossible for you to be too small. That's where God brings Gideon. As we continue through the Book of Judges, we're in Judges chapter seven. Um, we're going to read the first seven verses, and then we'll uh, pray, and then we'll get into the to the text a little more. Verse one. Then Jerubal, who is Gideon, and all of the people that were with him, rose up early and pitched beside the well of Herod, so that the host of the Midianites were on the north side of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand hath saved me. Now therefore go to proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whosoever is fearful and afraid Let him return and depart early from Mount Gilead. And there returned to the people 20 and 2,000. It's a lot of dudes. And there remained 10,000. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people are yet too many. Bring them down into the water, and I will try them for thee there. And it shall be that of whom I say unto thee, This shall go with thee, the same shall go with thee. And of whomsoever I say unto thee, This shall not go with thee, the same shall not go. So he brought down the people into the water, and the Lord said unto Gideon, Everyone that lappeth of the water with his tongue, as a dog lappeth, him shalt thou set by himself, likewise every one that boweth down upon his knees to drink. And the number of them that lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, were three hundred men. But all the rest of the people bowed down upon their knees to drink water. And the Lord said unto Gideon, By the three hundred men that lapped will I save you. And deliver the Midianites into thine hand, and let all the other people go every man unto his place. Let's pray. Lord, as we open up your word, we're going to see this incredible theme in scripture that weak is the new strong. And Lord, I pray that as we open up your word and try to talk through this text and apply this text to our life, that we'll see that, God, you can do a whole lot more through my weakness than you can my strength. So I pray that you would clear myself of any pride, clear us of any pride. Let us open up our hearts and listen to what you have for us. Help me to say the things I need to say. Help me to to skip over the things I need to. But Lord, use me tonight as we try to open up your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Verse 1, Gideon has uh, 32,000 troops. These are all volunteers, 32,000. That's a lot of guys. That's a big army. The Midianites, it's estimated they had over 135,000. It doesn't say that in that verse, but that's how many of them die. So we know there's at least that many, probably more. So on a conservative estimate, in comparison, Israel is outnumbered at least four to one. Verse two, let me read verse two again. The Lord said unto Gideon, the people that are with thee are too many to give the Midianites into their hands. I'm missing two words that I skipped over. The people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel vaunt themselves, saying against me, "Mine own hand has saved me." God says to Gideon, "The people are too many." And at this point, Gideon's probably like, "Well, I was actually coming to ask for more, until, <laughs> but now you're telling me I don't have I don't have enough." This feels like one of those situations, you know, where you um, You ever go ask your parents for some money when you were little to go get something, and then you get up to the uh, register and you don't have enough money? Then you have to go back and be like that that walk of shame to your parents. Mom, Dad, I need more dollars, please. Many more dollars. Did that ever happen to you all? No? Me me neither. Me neither. (laughs) Me neither. If my mom's watching, I'm sorry. He says, too many for me. For me to give the Midianites into their hands. God is already preparing Gideon to see that only God can bring the victory in this battle. If you win this battle with four to one odds, your pride will get in the way and you think it's based upon just your ability. God is weakening Gideon. Now we looked at chapter six. Gideon's already struggling with his faith a little bit. God is bringing Gideon to a place of total dependence on him. There's no way they could win except for God to do it. Isn't this true for all of us? I think the temptation, uh, especially for those of us in ministries, the pews begin to fill up. We see a lot of great things happen and we begin to take just a tiny fraction of the glory. We tend to say, "Look, look what Matt and Coleman and Colin have been able to do the last few months. There's a side of us, and that's probably, this is our old nature, that sometimes God cannot trust us with his work unless we realize how inadequate we are. And this may explain why God frequently chooses unlikely instruments. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians uh, 1, really quickly. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 27. I'm give you just a quick example. This is what Paul is saying, but I'll go ahead and start reading. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen Yea, in things which are not, to bring the not the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence, but of but of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made up unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Listen to this: that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Let's turn back to Judges seven, verse three. Now, therefore, go to proclaim the ears of the people, whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from Mount Gilead. 22,000 men return home. Gideon's left with 10,000 guys. How many are in the Midianite army? At least 135,000. The odds are getting less and less in their favor. Okay? Um, but this this is not like a, a big surprise that this happened. This is actually a principle that's found in Deuteronomy 20. Um, I don't have you turn there but they, basically they would say if you go to battle go to the men but these were just a few reasons that they could stay home from battle. If you planted a vineyard but hadn't eat of it you could stay home. If you had built a house and had not dedicated it yet you could stay home. If you were newly married and on your honeymoon you could stay home. If you were fearful you could stay home unless the other man beside you catches on to that fear and becomes afraid also. This is another principle in Scripture here. Faith is contagious, but so is fear. Fear is just as contagious. If those 20, think about if those 22,000 men had gone into battle and decided to run away. There'd have been a whole lot more than 22,000 men that would have run away with them, Right? Because it is contagious. It would have caused a panic to break out. Put yourself in Gideon's, well, his sandals for just a second, okay? Imagine watching his heart sink as those 22,000 men take off. The Midianites were camped just a couple miles away. It's not like they can't see or hear what's going on. Many had greater fear of man than trust in God, so they departed from what appeared to be a humanly impossible situation. How could 32,000 untrained and unqualified Israelite troops defeat an armed force of 135,000? One mighty God was soon to bring that answer. God wanted the victory, and he wanted to teach Israel to trust him and give him the glory if, and, and in our Christian life. If our victories seem to make us self-reliant, they ultimately work against us to dishonor God. Self-sufficiency sufficiently usually leads to God deficiency. Verse 4, the people are still too many. So he's going to put the surviving 10,000 men through a second test by asking them to take a drink down at the river. We never know when God is going to be testing us. I read this illustration. I want to read it to you really quickly. Uh, This was taken out of uh, Duke University's staff newsletter, so forgive me. I'm not a Duke fan, but it it makes for a good illustration, so I'll read it. At Duke University, there were four sophomores taking organic chemistry. They did so well on the quizzes, midterms, and labs. They all had an A for the whole semester. These four friends were so confident the weekend before finals that they chose to drive up to the University of Virginia for the weekend to party and hang out with friends. But unfortunately, they had a flat tire on the way back, didn't have a spare, and couldn't get help for a long time. As a result, they missed the final. The professor thought it over and then agreed they could make up the final the following day. The, fought, the guys were elated and relieved. Well, they, I missed a point. They were lying about this flat tire, obviously. So they studied the next day to get ready for this final, and the professor brings them in. He lays down this book. The first question was about like radical formation theory for five points, and they got it all right. They were all smart. The second question, they're all in a separate room, which tire was flat? <laughs> you never know when you're about to be tested. The point is here is that you never know when you're about to be tested, and I hate Duke. That's the other point, okay? So he continues, amen. So he continues testing the men. This test, it's not like your typical military test. If, where's my military guys at? Anybody in here, a few? You've never been tested in this way, probably have you? If, he says, if you lap from the water like a dog, you shall set apart by himself those men. The ones who bring the water to their mouth will stay. Typically in military training you're going to get tested about your proficiency with a weapon your physical fitness your stamina your leadership in ancient times though this made perfect sense why is that this was a test of urgency the first test was a test of courage are you afraid go home the second test was a test of urgency how quickly could you be ready for battle you could bow on all fours down at the river you could bend down or crouch down um, and put the water in your hands and bring it to your mouth to, to to get water And still be aware and still have your weapon in hand. Only 300 men did that. Only 300 men lived in the yellow. I'd never heard that phrase until I uh, was studying it out recently. Um, It's kind of a law, I think it was a law enforcement training technique living in the yellow, always being aware of what's going on around you. A person who is prepared walks into the room and takes notice of things. Uh, they, They notice exits where people are. This is what they're talking about living in the yellow. This was a test of urgency and awareness. Verse 7, By the 300 men that lapped will I save you and deliver the Midianites into thine hand. Their options were reduced to trust God and His promise or die. That's all they had. Those were the only two options. Let's read verse 9 through 11. And It came to pass that same night that the Lord said unto him, Arise and get thee down to the host, for I have delivered it into thine hand. But if thou fear to go down, go down with Purah, thy servant, down to the host, and thou shalt hear what they say. And afterward shall thine hands be strengthened to go down into the host. Then went he down with Purah, his servant, unto the outside of the armed men that were in the host. The Lord says, go down to this camp. If you're afraid, take your, take your servant Pura with you. Guess what? He didn't waste time. He was a little bit afraid. So they go straight to the camp. And you're going to hear what they're saying in these, in these, uh, in these uh, coming up verses. Verse 12. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the children that were east lay along in the valley in the grass like grasshoppers for multitude. And their camels were without number, and like the sand by the sea for multitude. Again, probably over 135,000 men camped on this hill. Now, God had already encouraged Gideon five different times in chapter six and coming into chapter seven. He reminded him again I'm going to deliver the Midianites into your hand. But we see kind of the humanity of Gideon in this moment. Gideon is still afraid. So he takes his servant Purah and they go down to the camp. verse 13, when Gideon was come, behold, there was a man and told a dream unto his fellow and said, Behold, I dreamed a dream and lo, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the host of Midian and came unto a tent and smote it that it fell and overturned it and the tent lay along. And his fellow answered and said, This is nothing else, save the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. For into his hand hath God delivered Midian and all of the host. Verse 15. And and it was so when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and the interpretation thereof, that he what? Let's say it together. He worshipped. This is nothing else. His friend interprets this dream for him and he's explained it to him. Barley was a sign of uh, poverty. It was a sign of poor. Israel was impoverished during this time. This is a picture of what Israel was about to do. This is also the sovereign hand of God leading Gideon into the camp. It was no coincidence that he was going to hear this conversation. And Gideon leaves encouraged. Now, I don't know how you worship in a camp where everybody wants to kill you. I don't know if it's like a a fist pump so that you don't say anything and get yourself killed. I don't know how you worship, but he says he did. He worshiped. He worshiped. And after that, and returned, verse 15, unto the host of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord hath delivered into your hand the host of Midian. One pastor said this, You must first be a worshiper before you are a warrior. You want to be a good warrior, learn to be a good worshiper. Skip Heitzig said this, public victories are the result of private devotion. God says, the Lord has given Midian into your hand. Think about the confidence you would have walking away if you had heard the enemy. Say how afraid they were of you. Fear is a crazy thing, right? Just a few verses earlier, throughout the previous chapter, God is encouraging Gideon as he is hesitant and afraid. But now that he has this confirmation again for like the fifth time that God is going to deliver them, he changes his tune. And this reminded me, if we only knew the power of God that was available to us, how much more confidently would we live for him? How much more confidently would we walk? I can imagine headed, he's probably headed back to camp listening to hype music whatever hype music there is back in the day. That's what we do. I, so I coach Bennett's basketball team. We're 2-0, and o, by the way. Um, I mean, Not a flex, but we are. Um, on Saturdays, if I'm driving him to the game by myself, there's, an, there's a playlist on ESPN. It's got hype music. And we'll listen to it. And uh, I just try to get him jacked up on the way to the game, you know, whatever I can do. Uh, he and Blakely are, like, in the back seat, like a two-man mosh pit back there. Uh, listening to hype music. Clean versions, of course. Clean versions. Uh, We like to listen to like old stadium hype music. We'll play some uh, jump around, because that's what Carolina plays at their games. Uh, We'll play some old jams, and then Blakely tries to ruin it by asking for the soundtrack to Frozen. It happens every Saturday, every week. It doesn't last long, but I get him jacked up as much as I can. But that's the confidence that Gideon is working with as he goes back to camp. Remember, it's again, it's not his confidence in his ability, because they're outnumbered. Now they're outnumbered like 450 to one. It's a confidence in God's ability, and it's a confidence in God's confirmation that he has given to Gideon. Verse 16. This is the plan. And he divided the 300 men into three companies, and he put a trumpet in every man's hand with uh, empty pitchers and lamps within the pitchers. And he said unto them, Look on me and do likewise. Verse 18, When I blow the trumpet and all that are with me, then blow ye the trumpets on every side of the camp, and say the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. Number 19, So Gideon and the hundred men that were with him came into the outside of the camp, and they had newly set the watch. This is about midnight. And they blew the trumpets and break the pitchers that were in their hands. Verse 20, and the three companies blew the trumpets and break the pitchers and held the lamps in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands to blow with all. And they cried the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. It's funny, they're screaming this. Their hands are already full. There's no swords. There's no swords. There's a lamp and there's a trumpet. This is God's victory. You're not going to beat anybody with a lamp and a trumpet. They're just causing pure pandemonium. That's what they're doing. At first glance, it seems like a death trap for the Israelites. But God often stacks the odds against us for him to show his glory. Look at Elijah, the 300 prophets of Baal. He told him to pour water all over the altar for the showdown against the prophets. The water would ensure that the altar wouldn't burn. But what happens? He calls the fire down and it consumes it. Jesus tells his disciples to go into all the world and preach the gospel. The odds were against these men. They would all soon die for their faith, but the gospel was spread. Sometimes you don't need more people. You just need the right people. A few of the best people and you can be victorious. Sometimes few is better. Look at 1 Samuel. Jonathan and his armor bearer go into the camp of the Philistines and he said, What restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few? God can use an army or he can just use you and me. This is his battle to win. In verse 21, I won't read the rest of the chapter for time's sake, but Gideon and his men do just that. And the the pure pandemonium breaks out, like something you would see downstairs in children's church. I mean, running around, Smarties everywhere, everybody's eating candy, going crazy. No, seriously, these men, they get so freaked out. They turn on each other. They turn on each other. This is God's victory to win. It's a miracle that only He can do. We're going to start, I'm going to to point out three elements of God's power in this chapter that I want to point out tonight. These specific areas of God's power And his sovereign hand were evident in three areas where we can experience the same. Remember, all of it was God's power, not ours. And it's the same for us today. Number one, they saw God's power and weakness. God was already encouraging Gideon for this task, but he was going to bring Gideon and his army to a place of total, absolute dependence. Alistair Begg said this, if dependency is our goal, then our weakness is an advantage. How? How was this, how did God display his power and weakness? Through the testing process. That testing process was painful, wasn't it? It's the same way for us. We don't like to be tested. We don't like to go through physical pain. We don't like to go through uh, trials and hardships in life. Think about Gideon watching all those men walk away. You don't think there was some doubt and some fear in his mind and heart? Absolutely, it was. Let's quickly turn to 2 Corinthians 12. And I'm going to go ahead and start reading uh, while you're turning. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. How will God bring us to a place of total dependence on him? A lot of times it's going to include some pain. And getting our weakness exposed. Weakness is a powerful tool. I said it before. God can do a whole lot more through our weakness than he can our strength. Why is that? Because weakness subdues our pride and gets us off the throne in our life. And secondly, it increases our dependency. But why did God use this? Use the weakness. Let's look back at verse 2. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands. Lest Israel vaunt themselves in, against me, saying, Mine own hand hath saved me. Why did he do it this way? So that pride would not get in the way, and that only God can get the glory from this. Proverbs sixteen eighteen is a very familiar scripture. Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride will make fools out of every single one of us going back to 2 Corinthians 12, unless I should be exalted above measure or filled with pride through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. Paul just had this, if you read the chapter before or the verses leading up to this, Paul just had this incredible experience with God and he was trying to describe it at the beginning of the chapter and in the chapter before, but then the focus shifts to this thorn in the flesh. Now what that thorn is is debatable. There's all kinds of, subjects and subject matter experts that, that talk about what this could have been. It could have been like a debilitating disease. It could have been something just very temporary. But the why of the thorn has never been in question. The why of the thorn was to bring Paul to a point of weakness so his pride would not get in the way. If we don't think pride is a big deal, compare the story of Gideon to the story of Samson, which we'll see later on in this book of Judges. Pride almost literally eats Samson alive. Paul and Gideon both learned this principle through pain. We can walk in our strength, or we can walk in God's strength, but we cannot walk in both. Why does God allow us to be in battles like this in our lives? Sometimes they're physical battles like Paul faced. Sometimes they're battles of the mind like Gideon was facing, but sometimes it's a battle in the home. If we think ourselves weak, he will make us strong. But if we think ourselves strong, he will for sure make us weak so that he gets the glory and our pride is not puffed up. Our weakness is a catalyst for his strength to shine and for him to give victory when we totally rely on him. Secondly, God's power in worship. Verse 9 through 15, uh, Gideon is still having a trouble getting a grasp on God's promises, and he says, go down to the camp and see what they have to say. In verse 11, he says, your hands will be strengthened. What a promise. He's already been given this promise before he ever gets down to the camp God knows that Gideon is struggling and so he leads him right down to the camp and this is this shows that when God asks us to do hard things he does not fold his arms and sit back and watch us go about it on our own He is there to guide us and encourage us along the way remember this has all been orchestrated by the sovereign hand of God you cannot say it's a coincidence that Gideon overheard this conversation by accident this was so that Gideon could be encouraged. And what does he do? What's his response? He worships. He worships. He is immediately encouraged by what he hears. We mentioned that earlier that faith is contagious and fear is contagious. But you know what else is contagious? Encouragement. Encouragement is contagious. God's power is displayed here through his sovereign working as he encourages Gideon's heart through the conversation. And how does this apply today? I've never prayed for encouragement of the Holy Spirit like I have in recent months. I've got, most of you know that I drive a little ways to church um, in the mornings. And so that morning time is my time with Jesus to talk to him. And there's been a lot of mornings where there's been more tears than words. And I'll just ask God, give me one thing to encourage my heart today to go on. It's easy to want to quit. It's easy to want to walk away. And I get emotional about it because never once have I gotten out of my car by the time I got here to the church. That my heart has not completely changed. Maybe it's a word of scripture that I hear. Maybe it's a song. Let me encourage you. Find, find, find something to listen to that you know will encourage you. If you've got a song that, that, that's your song, hold on to it. Claim it. Claim it. That's how God encourages you. And what does Gideon do with that encouragement? He walks right into the camp like a boss and starts encouraging the rest of the camp. What if you walked into church on Sunday with the biggest dadgum smile on your face? knowing that God is in control, knowing that you can trust Him with any situation, knowing that you can lay your weakness down and let God use it in an incredible way. What if you walked into work tomorrow? Mondays are tough anyway. But what if you walked into work tomorrow and encouraged somebody right off the bat? Encourage that person that gets on your nerves just a little bit. Speak a word of encouragement and watch what God does. It's contagious. It's as if God gives just enough fuel for what you need for today. Tomorrow is a different day. You don't know how much fuel you're going to need. You don't know how much encouragement you're going to need. He will give it exactly what you need, exactly how you need it, and exactly when you need it. How do I know? I've watched it happen. That is how God works in our weakness and in our worship. Number three, we've seen God's power in our weakness and God's power in our worship. And finally tonight, God's power in the winning. My original points, if you read this scripture, you saw that these guys went crazy. Pandemonium in the camp. So my original points are going to be the the testing, the trusting, and the tripping. But it didn't work. It didn't work out right. I was a little bit of a reach. Okay, so I I, I tried to go more conservative with the with the points. Um, look at how the Lord brings victory to Israel. They divide into three groups of a hundred. They each got a trumpet pitcher and a lamp. Very specific instructions. God is leading Gideon to give very specific instructions. They were to scream the sword. This was psychological warfare, by the way. This is exactly what this is. They were to scream the sword of the Lord and of Gideon, but they didn't even carry a sword. The victory truly belonged to God alone. The Lord set every man's sword against his fellows. is what it says. They were killing each other in the middle of the night. God is once again showing his power by bringing Israel the victory at overwhelming odds. Once again, we're seeing this theme. The, the theme of Judges is fallen people, faithful God. We're seeing a faithful God on display for the whole world to see. How is God's power seen through your battles? Romans 8.37 tells us that we're more than conquerors. How are we more than a conqueror? He he overcomes with a greater power, the power of Christ. The Christian overcomes with a greater motive, the glory of Jesus. The Christian overcomes with a greater victory, losing nothing even in the battle. He overcomes with a greater love, conquering enemies with love and converting persecutors with patience. We've been learning that song, You've Already Won. I love that song. We fight spiritual warfare all the day long, don't we? We fight physical battles in our lives. We fight in our home. We fight at work. Do you want some good news? You do not fight alone. And you never have. You don't even have to fight in your own strength. If you fight in your own strength, you're going to get human-sized results. If you fight in God's strength, you're going to get God-sized results. Hayden, will you come up here? We're going to do... You've already won one more time. I want to sing that. It just works with this message. Um, As we begin to close tonight, I'm convinced that God is looking for more weak people to use for his glory. What was God's response to Paul in 2 Corinthians when he asked the Lord three different times to take this thorn away? He said, My grace is sufficient for thee for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And Paul's response wrecks me. It absolutely wrecks me. He says, Most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmities so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. The battle that you're going through right now could very well be the thing that God is using to bring victory in your life. It's okay to admit that you're weak. I'm I'm weak. I'll be the first one to admit it. It's okay to admit that you're weak. God will use your weakness more than than he will use your strength. So what if we as a church tonight declared our weakness right here and begged God to do a God-sized thing at Euphola with a bunch of weak people from Statesville it's okay to admit that we're weak. Maybe you've been brought to the battlefield in your life and you're outnumbered and the odds are against you. Let me remind you that the odds are never against God. Maybe it's time you, you find your place in this altar and give that battle to Him and let Him fight. You can wear yourself out all you want to. All you'll be is just wore out and tired. But if you give it to Him, let Him fight for you. Let Him work in your life. One pastor said this, other people are going to find healing in your wounds. Your greatest life messages and your greatest ministry will come out of your deepest hurts. We don't like to hear that. That goes against our human nature. I don't want God to, to allow me to hurt, to, to be able to give me a, a testimony. But that's how He does it. He will bring you to a place of weakness where all you can say is it has to be God or it ain't going to happen. Church, I'm telling you, the future of Euphola Baptist Church is it has to be God or it's not going to happen. Why don't you come and lay your weakness down tonight? He already knows it. He already knows it. But it's good for us to lay it here and leave it here. Let's stand. I pray that we won't boast in any of our endeavors, our strengths, only in Jesus, because that's where victory is. Weak is the new strong. Again, I remind you, if we do all that we do in our own strength, we're only going to get human-sized results. Would you come and pray? If not for anything else, pray for God to do something huge in Euphala Baptist Church. We're going to sing that song you've already won. Hayden's going to lead us. I love the message in this song. I'm fighting a battle. That's already been won. You can look in Scripture. You can look at your Bible and see where we win time and time again. And it's it's not our ability. It's not our strength. It's not anything that we can do, but it's all Him. Only He can get the glory. Don't let our pride get in the way. Lay your weakness down. Give it to Him tonight. Let's sing.